to Nerds of the Roundtable, a podcast on a quest for quality pop culture. I'm Jamie. And I'm Dwayne. And I'm Sammy. And on this episode, we're doing another holiday special. Not that holiday special. Jingle but, bells, hey. jingle bells. No. Christmas in July? Christmas. <laughs> I did work for No, we're Walmart. not watching Die Hard 2. I did oh. work for Walmart for a short time, guys. Sorry. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we are close to a national holiday for us Americans. Um... This is Independence Day, the 1996 classic? Classic, classic? Jamie. Okay. Classic. We're going oh, yeah, there. oh, yeah. We are going there. This movie established an action star, I feel. Definitely. Yeah, Jeff Goldblum was great in this movie. It's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm speaking of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, folks. <laughs> How professional can you be here, I swear. <laughs> No, uh, the 96 classic, as we were speaking, Independence Day. And uh, this was uh, directed by uh, Roland Emmerich, a 90s superstar of movies. I mean, he made a lot of action movies. Him and uh, Dean Devlin were a team, um, wrote and directed a lot of, a lot of these type movies. Um, we're starring Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum here with Bill Pullman. may not be as big a name as the other two, but he was a star in this movie he as well. Was a, he was a thing in the 90s. He yeah. really was in just about every third movie, I think. Yeah, and, I mean, it was kind of a uh, – we're jumping ahead now. But I'm used to seeing him in, like, rom-coms. Like, he was rom-com guy. For yeah. him to be, like, this Navy fighter pilot president right. guy, it was kind of a weird casting. but Yeah, and, and you know, kind of selling it. He really pulled it off. Yeah. He had his moments. We'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but let's, let's, get, let's get some opening thoughts. Sammy, what were your opening thoughts? Okay. Um, you know, as, as uh, Dwayne had alluded to, you know, for me, this was the first time I saw, you know, Will Smith as an action star. I mm-hmm. mean, up to this point, I mean, it was parents just don't understand. You know, it, it was Nightmare on My Street, you know, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air even. Uh, but to see him in this this role channeling his his inner maverick, you know, it it, it, it worked for me, okay? Um, you know, I am a big fan of the old 50s and 60s schlock sci-fi. And I think there were a lot of homages and things in this movie. Thick throughout. Yeah. I mean, it was so influenced by it. Um, you know, I found the story was entertaining, you know, even going back. I think the effects still held up. Some you know, of them. I think most of it still <laughs> held. Uh, I think the dialogue did get a bit clunky on occasion. Uh, uh, but other than that, you know, I was real pleased going back. It had been a while since I'd seen this movie. So if I'm giving it a grade, um, I'm going A minus. Okay. Okay. You want me to go? You want to go, Dwayne? You go. Okay. Um, it's a good movie. It's not a great movie. Okay, um, Jamie, do explain yourself. Okay. It's a lot of fun. Um, it is. I mean, I, I enjoy this movie, but Sammy's right. A lot of that dialogue is hard to listen to. I yeah. mean, it's. I mean, George Lucas could have written this movie. <laughs> I mean, there's some pain. There's some painful lines in this thing, and there's some strange line deliveries. Like actors made some decisions in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, and on, there's. I don't want to name too many names. There's some poor acting in this movie too. Vivica Fox. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll name one name at least. I mean, and Will Smith is not killing it in this movie. A- acting wise, ah, there's a couple times we've been like, well, dude, what movie do you think you're in? Yeah, yeah, he was still finding out who he yeah. was. Yeah, yeah. Um, I-, I think he was still being Mike Lowry from Bad Boys in a couple of these scenes. Um, and it, there's there's times it felt dated. 
Like and like things that uh, hit me funny now that probably didn't in nineteen because I was sixteen in nineteen ninety six. Right. But um, yeah. So it's I mean it's it's still a lot of fun though. I mean so on a lot of levels like I kind of just want to ding it like not a great movie like things that bothered me like and and, and also in nineteen ninety six. I wasn't writing at that point either. So like I saw, so, so I'm thinking through story structure and how you know how things should bleed in and out of each other. I'm like, oh, this script could have used. Mm, I might have done that differently. A little you know? more polish. Yeah. Right? A little more and polish. so um, it's still a lot of fun though. I, I keep coming back to that. It is still a whole lot of fun. Um, so I'm still going B minus. <clears throat> it's still in the above average range. I still like it. It's still fun. It's got a lot more flaws than I remembered. Okay. Well, being a 90s movie directed by Roland Emmerich starring Will Smith, Bill Pullman, Jeff Goldblum, not to mention Mary McDonald, Judd Hirsch, this is where we got confused with the Christmas situation. Randy <laughs> Quaid? Anyone? <laughs> you know, Adam Baldwin? Also, Mr. Data himself, Brent Spiner. Yeah, that's right. I mean, this movie is thick. Vivica Fox, as you mentioned, this movie is thick with faces from the 90s. And, uh, oh, and you it, forgot it was, Harvey Weinstein. Oh, yes, and he was almost... An, or Fire State. Yeah, Fire State. Fire State. Glad you caught that. I was here <laughs> to say, I, what movie were you watching? It hit me there. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, wrong scene. <laughs> where, where, where did he hit you, Jay? Or where, where, where did he hit you, Sammy? <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> Yeah, oh, I knew I was in a 90s movie when he started talking. Yeah. Like, oh, I that's love, right. I haven't seen him past the 90s. I love that guy. Yeah, he was great. But yeah, this was an pitched as an epic, you know, um, Independence Day. We're taking back our independence, you know. And uh, it was so big, so marketed, this movie was. And it was, uh, Jamie said it right, it was a ton of fun. And what else could it be? A movie of this size and this scope. I think this movie was exactly what it set out to be. The acting, Harry Connick Jr., Mr. Frank Sinatra recruiter himself, a fighter pilot opposite Will Smith. I mean, I love this movie from top to bottom. I'm going to go an A. It's, it's, it's a good solid A for me just for enjoyment. I watch this movie. I don't think about the plot holes. I don't <laughs> think about the... You know, okay, could this physically happen? I'll, you know, and there and there's some things I want to get into a little bit later. I'm not going to get into now, but there's so much fun. Yeah. And this movie, like like Sam said, it, it harkens back to your 50s sci-fi invasion movies. You I, know, I feel like the best it, way to watch this is at a drive-through. It, it is. It is. Or drive-in. I mean, you know, and that would be a glorious uh, re-showing of this movie to oh, yeah. set up a drive-in theater. Yeah. And just just projects on a big screen, tune in and and even broadcast it badly to the radios, you know, and just just have it kind of scratchy in there. And, and that would be what this movie is. So I'm yeah I'm sticking a solid A right here. This okay. movie is just a All ton right. of fun. I, th I think it is what it is, and it is what it set out to be. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we got a, we got a lot of podcasts to get, get to get to. We can dig into it some more. All right. Yeah, so yeah, there's there's a lot to discuss here. So. Uh, Jamie, this movie broke down really, really well for our three-part uh, yeah. roundtable here. So Wikipedia set this up for you. Yeah, it made it really easy on me this time. Now, something uh, Sam pointed out, and, and I didn't realize that I remembered until we were talking here, this movie is titled Independence Day, but actually starts a couple days before. 
So we pick up on July 2nd. So who wants to take this first section, folks? I'll do it if nobody wants to. Okay, yeah, go for it. <clears throat> Part 1. On July 2nd, 1996, an enormous mothership UFO that has one-fourth the mass of the moon enters orbit around Earth, deploying assault fortress saucers, each 15 miles wide. They take positions over some of Earth's major cities. David Levinson, an MIT-trained satellite technician, decodes a signal embedded within global satellite transmissions that he determines is the alien's countdown timer for a coordinated attack. With help from his former wife, White House Communications Director Constance Spano? Spano. Sure. David and his father Julius gain access to the Oval Office and warn President Thomas J. Whitmore that aliens are hostile. Whitmore immediately orders large-scale evacuations of New York City, Los Angeles, and Washington, D.C., but it is too late. The timer reaches zero, and the saucers activate, devastating direct in directed energy weapons, killing millions. Whitmore, the Levinsons, and a few others narrowly escape aboard Air Force One as the capital is destroyed, along with the other locations over which the saucers are positioned. Now, a lot happens here on screen yeah. <clears throat> to get us here. This is, this is a dense movie. There's, there's always a stuff going on. lot yeah. packed in here. You see uh, David, Jeff Goldblum's relationship with his father, uh, Jed Hirsch. You see the president who is not as popular as a president could be. Mm -hmm. You know, kind of a war hero guy. They thought they were who, getting a war hero. Instead, they got a wimp. <clears throat> who everybody, you know, he, he's in there kind of not doing all he was supposed to do. You see... You know David's relationship. You find out with his with his ex-wife, who winds up being the communications director, correct? Constance yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. that's correct. Um, and you know all of these. Uh, you know Will Smith in his, according to Jamie, bad acted. How I mean, how, what what could you? She's a stripper named Jasmine. <laughs> <laughs> with chicken legs. Uh, yeah, Vivica Fox. Uh, you know you see that relationship going on. You see all this stuff happening, and. He's out playing chess with his dad. You know, Jeff Goldblum, David, is out playing chess with his dad, just kind of chilling in the park. And he's taking his time. And he's methodically moving these pieces. And, and Jed Hirsch is, you know, pop, 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 pop. And he's making these moves. And then he says, checkmate. He's like, it's not checkmate. 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 No. You know, he finds out that he and I and, and for me, that's one of the, like, subtly best parts of the movie is that relationship between Goldblum and his dad. I just yeah. I love the way they interact with each other. That relationship was so well developed. Yeah. yeah it really was. You know, in, in this first part, I thought thought it was really interesting. You know, I think more than, than I think it, probably any other science fiction movie I've seen, this one tried to be as real as possible. They tried to really ground it in, in science. You know, it opens up showing the Apollo 11 moon landing site. You know, when they're talking, they're using the right science terms. You know, they're talking about kilometers and they're talking about the mass and they're, you know, they're, they're really trying to ground this in reality. Yeah, and I love the intro at SETI. Uh, the search for extraterrestrial, extraterrestrial intelligence, where they're looking, they're scanning the skies for symbols, for signals. And of course, what what song's playing? It's the end of the world. I love <laughs> that. That so yeah. And you know, and that's really funny because that song was released in '87. '87, yeah. So I mean, it's not a new song. So obviously, this is put in that more yeah. as a pun than anything it's else. A, it's a little on the nose, but it felt <laughs> Just right. Just a touch. Just a touch, right? And of course, they have their classic is Star this Destroyer. Gun? 
Yeah, there you <laughs> they go. <tell> you, <laughs> it's the end of the world. They tell you at the beginning of the movie. There so. you go. And of course, they you you know you've got your your Star Wars homage mm-hmm. with the star the Star Destroyer shot. Oh yeah, I noticed that. You know, right away. I'm like, I've seen that somewhere. Where have I seen that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought it was really neat the 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 portrayal how how well they shown you how large those ships were. And I thought too, you're talking about it being grounded in reality. I thought that the way they were talking about like the politics, trying to bring politics yeah. into it, and then we're just like the president has to do stuff. Like we're talking about his polls, and mm-hmm. and he's being criticized right. because of his background, and and talking about compromises. If he was too much compromise, all this kind of stuff. I'm like, I felt like they were really trying to ground it. Like this is 1996. This is the stuff we're going through. This is what our world is like. But he was one of the top ten sexiest bachelor or sexiest <laughs> men in us. <laughs> And, you know, I mean, once again, I know we talk a lot about cast, and I know, uh, you know, you guys, you kind of alluded to a lot of the main cast, but you've got a lot of secondary players here that are people that, that if you're a television person or a movie person, you know these people. You've seen them in You know, stuff. the dad from Wonder Years, you know, Dan Laria, uh, the boss, Tom Hanks' boss from Big, uh, Robert Loggia, um, even the, the uh, captain from Chips. It was in here, so there were there were a lot of those. Hey, I know that guy. Exactly. All through this movie, almost everybody who like had even one line of dialogue, you're like, I know that guy. You know that guy. He's in something. Yeah. And actually, even later on, uh, Mae Whitman, who played uh, Pullman's daughter, voices April O'Neil in uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on yeah, Nickelodeon. I was noticing she's got a ton of. Yeah, voice she's done stuff. a lot of stuff. <clears throat> yeah, prolific. I, I could you, could, you could probably tell us that, right, Jamie? <laughs> there are a lot. Well, I don't want to spoilers for later in the show. Um, there's a lot of voice actors from this movie. A lot yes. of these people in this movie have done a lot of voice acting, and I'll tell you what, why I know that later. <laughs> but I do have to throw one thing out though. As real as they're trying to make this, there was not enough space debris. Mm. There should have been a lot more space debris floating up around the Earth, mm. satellites, and just debris. I'm telling yeah. you. No, I've got a lot of nitpicks. That wasn't one of them. Yeah, I was, I was going to say that was not something I noticed. But, but this, this is where my biggest problem with this movie starts. Um, we talked before about how in, in, in fiction, sort of the rule of thumb is you get one coincidence. The audience will give you, no matter how random, will grant you one coincidence, and then after that, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta play by the rules. There's about fifty coincidences in this movie <laughs> they're asking a lot of the audience like you, you've got a lot you just buy into the fun and, you know love Goldblum, love will smith roll with the aliens roll with the space stuff and don't pay attention to all the coincidences in this movie you had to check your credit credibility <laughs> yeah i mean it was there are so many people just happen to go to the right place. People yeah. just happen to have the right relationship. David has to look at his computer just the, just right, at time. the right time. Yeah, exactly. there was so many coincidences. Yeah, I thought it was neat how everyone was panicking, and he was like, "Well, you know, let's try this one. Well, we have already tried that. We've tried this. Let's try that." And then he says, "Oh, it's a countdown. You know, it's it's a cycling down." I also think he benefited from being in 1996. Not all of us knowing how computers work. This well, <laughs> I will tell you, uh, and I'm gonna get into this a little bit later in the episode. He had one heck of a computer. Yeah. That laptop, especially for a 1996 laptop. Yeah. I mean, he's really pushing maybe some terabytes <laughs> of processing <laughs> on this thing, and um, I mean, I'm, I'm he, yep, 
this is something you just gotta buy. <laughs> but the, but it really is. I mean, even in the beginning, this is all set up. Everything we talked about in part one is really just set up for what happens later on. <clears throat> yeah. And, but uh, you still you already get a fun vibe from it. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know that this is gonna be a ride. Yeah. Yeah. And it ends with the destruction of these major cities because it's not only one alien ship coming. There's multiples over almost every major city in the world. And I, I, had, a, I had a question I, I was wondering about because um, I don't love Pullman's president here. Um, and one of the things I get mad at him right away because like he resists like evacuations. I'm like, no, dude, you mean you need to be evacuating now, get people out yeah. right away. And he doesn't leave the White House. And I'm wondering if they tried to – if that, they set that up with saying that he was under sort of criticism, that he was under fire. So he was trying to look presidential. That was where I was going to kick back on you. I was wondering that. if, that's, if that's why they set that up that way. So he yeah. was trying to, to, trying to look presidential. That's why he stayed in the White yeah. House. Well, he's, he's trying to be more of the warrior yeah. you know that, that I think the polls were wanting him to be yeah. instead of backing down. So he wasn't a wimp. Correct. Yeah. Because there's no way a president staying in the White House with an alien warship hanging over top. Right over the White House. Yeah. Because I, I felt like, because I, I got mad at him. Like, dude, no. Evacuation needs to start like an hour ago. You need to be on Air Force One already. There's no, <laughs> so I'm already like, dude, you're making weird decisions here. So I'm a little annoyed with him to start with. Well, well, I think the way I looked at it is he's watched Close Encounters of the Third Kind. <laughs> And, you know, he sends them out there with the lights flashing. They just needed the boom, 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 boom. And and, and they totally would have had that. Uh, so I think he thought they were they were going to take him. So <laughs> That reminds me. I forgot to put this anywhere on my notes. What were they doing with the lights? <laughs> they had no understanding of what their language was or how they could communicate. Let's just go flash lights in their eyes. That makes everybody mad. <laughs> yeah, let's, be let's try this. <laughs> Are you, so are, are, you, are you firing um, weapons or signaling me, you know? Yeah. Like, like I said, he's watched Close Encounters, and so that, that's probably what it was. One thing I do want to speak, I have had a glorious time watching this movie. I have a um, an old, old, old DVD that has a special edition and a theatrical cut on it. And once you select one, it has the White House and either one sitting there with your menu. And today I put it in, selected one, and I was like, and one of the kids said, hey, Dad. So I had to go <clears throat> do the Hey, Dad thing. And it took a little bit longer. When I came back, it's running through the dialogue. So you see the White House on screen. It's running through the dialogue of should we evacuate. It's counting down. Should we do this? It's counting down. Should we do that? Oh, it's opening up. And the White House blows up. And then the movie starts playing. Ooh. So that was just, I was like, oh, that's just really cool the way they put that into the disc. You know, this kind of runs through the whole scene, dialogue you're sitting there looking at. And then the alien ship opens up and blows the White House up. And then it rolls into credits and opening. Yeah, it was really fun. You know, and that's kind of the funny thing with this movie. That is probably the most iconic moment, and it happens in the first third. Yeah, yeah. you, you see know, it that's that's yeah. the scene that, that people recognize. The whole bottom of the ship opening yeah. up and, and, and the weapon igniting. And it's, and it's really just sort of like an inciting event. I mean, it's not really a pivotal moment later. In the, like you'd think, I mean, just from the way the trailers went and it being the iconic image, it would be later in the movie. Right. Mm-hmm. It's you're right. right. It's right at the beginning. It's right at the beginning. And, you know, you, you mentioned about uh, Quaid. All right. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> You know, what What I think is interesting is this even plays back to the whole alien abduction. Mm-hmm. So they were abducting humans to figure out our weaknesses. 
during this whole period of time from the 50s up. And now, okay, we, we know them. Now we're going to attack. So, I mean, it gave credence to all that, that kind of those types of things. Yeah, well, this is a conspiracy theorist's movie. Yeah. Yeah, you have all of that. I mean, you have the alien abduction stuff. Here Area little, 51 is yeah, real. I was going to say, here in a little while, we go to Area 51. <laughs> you have the... Uh, you know the wreckage from from Roswell and all the different things that they're experiencing, and it's did you phenomenal. all did you all get a vibe off of Randy Quaid that the director was like, "Hey, you're a character from Christmas Vacation. Do that only drunker." <laughs> <laughs> well, he plays quirky well. You know, yeah, he, he plays he, that type of character well. That is him. Yeah. I mean, he was still in an RV even. This he is was. true. It's true. <laughs> this is true. Yeah, he was. He was very much the 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 Eddie from Vacation. It felt like instead of faster, more intense, it was drunker and dumber. Drunker and dumber. <laughs> <laughs> Only you can fly a plane. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that was. There, good. You know, the, I'm jumping ahead here, but we're talking. We may not bring Randy Quaid up again. So I wanted to say this: they missed an opportunity at the end of the movie when his son is watching him fly into the thing and save the day. Should have said something about he dusted the right field this time. Yeah. Don't you think he's going to make a comment about the crapper being full? <laughs> <laughs> no, because in this part of the movie, you know, he dusts the wrong field. It's like, right. Dad finally got the right field. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it should have been something about that. Yeah, it should have been something. Yeah, I don't know. His, his, his character was really fun. A ton of fun. So are, are we uh, ready to move on to part two? I believe so. Okay, I'll go ahead and jump onto this one, guys. Better you than me. <laughs> yeah, this was a little <laughs> bit hard. Part two, on July 3rd, international leaders begin ordering individual counterattacks. Their air forces attack the saucers positioned above the ruins of the cities, but the saucers are protected by force fields. Each saucer launches a swarm of attack fighters, each with its own shield as well, which wipes out the human fighter squadrons and military bases. Captain Stephen Hiller, an F-A-18 jet pilot with the U.S. Marine Corps Squadron, VMFA-3, 314 based out of Marine Corps Station El Toro survives by luring his attacker into the enclosed spaces of the Grand Canyon and sacrificing his plane, forcing the alien to crash land. He subdues the injured alien pilot and flags down a convoy of refugees. Subdues, knocks out, it's all semantics. <clears throat> flags down a convoy of refugees, hitching a ride with former combat pilot Russell Cass, as we were talking about. They transport the unconscious alien to Area 51, where Whitmore's group has landed. Through secrecy, or though Secretary of Defense Albert Neminsky, they have learned that a faction of the government has been involved in a UFO conspiracy since 1947, when one of the invaders' attack fighters crashed in Roswell. Area 51 houses the now refurbished alien fighter and three alien corpses recovered from the crash. As eccentric scientist Dr. Brackish Okun examines the alien captured by Stephen, it regains consciousness and attacks, telepathically invading Okun's mind. It uses Okun's vocal cords to communicate with President Whitmore before launching a Psychic attack against him. Whitmore sees visions of the aliens' plans. The entire civilization travels from planet to planet, exterminating all indigenous life and stripping the planet of all natural resources. 
after Secret Service agents and military personnel kill the alien, which leaves Dr. Okun in a coma, Whitmore reluctantly authorizes a nuclear attack. A B-2 sp spirit fires a nuclear warhead-tipped cruise missile at a saucer positioned above Houston, but the saucer remains intact. Whilst wiping out the city, meanwhile, Stephen's fiance Jasmine and her son survive the destruction of Los Angeles and use an abandoned service truck to rescue other survivors. In the process, finding the injured first lady, Marilyn, whose helicopter crashed during the initial attack. Though the group is rescued by Stephen and taken to Area 51, Marilyn dies of her wounds shortly after being reunited with her family. Whew, that was a lot. <laughs> you picked the wrong one, pal. <laughs> I'm going to have to look at these closer. I'm going to have to start reading them before we record. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> so, no, but th this is where those coincidences really start kicking in. There's a couple of examples. I just, I'll flat out roll my eyes at. Yeah. Like when she rolls up and finds the president's wife, I'm like, of course she does. Of course, yes. <laughs> of course. Yeah, that's, yeah there's a, there is a lot of, of those just convenient things yeah. that happen. But, uh, yeah, so it, as, you know, they begin to attack back, as we begin to fight back, we find out that we're pretty well out, outgunned. Yeah. In, in all, all well, ways. And this is when they, they send in the fighter squadron to, to try to, to fight back. He said they're fighting back at this point. This is when they discover that everything is shielded because mm -hmm. they shoot the missiles at them and then just that weird green. That weird yeah, haze. Yeah. And then the fighters come out and they discover that the fighters are shielded too. Mm -hmm. um, which I've got a question about that. So. Rockets don't get through the green, you know, shields. Okay, TIE fighters aren't shielded, but the slow blade <laughs> pierces the shield. <laughs> let it let it be known. I made the first Star Wars reference. He made the first Dune reference, okay? <laughs> okay, so why why is it why does it crash into the the rock wall? Why I mean if if a rocket can't pierce the shield, why does slamming into a canyon wall do it? Because they needed it to happen in the movie. Oh, <laughs> uh, so the, the plot armor fails. Yeah, the plot armor fails. Right. I, honestly, I mean, because it's, if it's it... the constant, you know, he's just outflown. Um, and his fighter forces, you know, I, I guess you could say the fighter forces the mountain into the fighter, you know, with its sheer momentum. You know, it doesn't yeah. bounce off with the shield. It, you know, just pushes itself into the mountain through the shield, apparently. I don't Okay. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, and the they needed it to happen. They needed it to well, happen. Honestly, because if you don't have the dogfight in the Grand Canyon, then Will Smith doesn't get to punch the alien and say, <laughs> "Welcome to Earth." Right. Of course. Why are you coming down here, ruining my? <laughs> now that's what I, I could call have been it. at a barbecue. Now that's what I call a close encounter. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, all of the funny lines couldn't yeah. be there if if the alien doesn't crash. Speaking yeah. of funny lines, I wanted to bring this up at this point. Harry Connick Jr. I love him. Mm -hmm. Okay. What's there to love? <laughs> I don't know. He's just he's just that a-hole cocky pilot. <laughs> and he's given, you know, Will Smith a hard time and, and Will Smith's waiting for his promotion, his letter, you know, to NASA. Yeah. And Harry Connick Jr. says, you know, I prefer the one knee. Myself. Yeah, yeah. You know, it just that was the, the one scene I really it, liked. It, it this brings the tush right in, right yeah, in. Yeah. And he was, you know, he was disposed of during his first yeah. encounter. And he served his purpose, and I, and he, I thought he'd done it well. If he had called Will Smith Big Daddy one more time, I'd have thrown my remote at the TV though. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, 
you know, like, like I said, Will Smith was channeling his best Maverick. Uh, Harry Connick was, was channeling his Frank best goose. Sinatra. He no. was doing his best goose. <laughs> you know. I just don't think Harry Connick did a very good job in this movie. Right. Which is sad because I think he's actually a really good actor. Have, yeah. you, have you all ever seen Copycat? Copycat's great. Oh, it. my God. He is so good in Copycat. Have you seen it, Sam? I've not. See, oh. when I think of him in a movie um, – I've seen the movie Hope Floats. I'm sorry. I don't know how many times, okay? <laughs> and the, his best line from it is, dancing's just a conversation between two people. Talk to me. <laughs> okay, trust me. He can act. <laughs> You've seen no evidence so far. <laughs> no, but he, he's great in copy. Copy. I mean, this phenomenal. dude... He, I, it's kind of sad he's not really gotten a chance yeah. to really display what he can do. He's amazing in Copycat. And he yeah. actually was in Copycat before this movie. Yeah, before this movie. Right. He's a great singer, performer. Oh, I mean, yeah. If, I mean, if, he if was you a prodigy. look at the classics, yeah, you look at the classic, uh, you know, like I said, Frank Sinatra era songs. I mean, that, was, that American songbook. Yeah. He, so he owns it. Yeah, so it's, not, so it's not his fault. But, like, everything that he does, I just kind of groan at. <laughs> Yeah, and like and like Sam was saying, you know, and and we've mentioned before, you know, this movie is channeling your 50, 60 sci-fi. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And he is. Oh, he brings the cheese. Yeah, he is channeling that <laughs> cheese, you know, and he's just like this, this over the top a hole pilot. Yeah. yeah, he's he's. I mean, triple level cheeseburger here. I mean, yeah. it's, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's intense. So you yeah, got but, so Big have... Mac, and Big Daddy. There you go. No joke, though, man. The Big Daddy thing was starting to hurt me. I, it was there was one too many, or five too many. But oh, um, but like so, so we get to the dog fight. He he punches out the alien, despite mm-hmm. the fact that it's inside armor and it's way deep, deep down inside there, and it's knocked out for like eight hours. You can tell this guy was gonna play all lead shortly because he's got weird. a yeah, he's got a really good right hook because he's you know that thing was out for a long time. He yeah. was ready to be all lead, but um, so they so they he hitches a ride with the RV crew. Yeah. Yep. And they now help me. I'm I'm not sure about this. Do they go to a regular Air Force base, or do they go straight to Area 51? They go straight to Area 51. Yeah, because remember he says I need to go to this spot, yeah, and you're like, that's base. not on the map. Yeah. So I wasn't he said, but sure trust about me, that. it's there. Okay. I, so yeah. I wasn't sure. They I, I wasn't clear. That's one more coincidence. <laughs> yeah. He just happened to fly over Area 51. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And uh, so he sees it. So he's working his way back there, and this, and you know, you have this whole community of trailers. Yeah. You're just just coming along. You know, you mentioned about the armor. I did think the armor was interesting. Uh, you know, it's very organic based. I love the the kind of the tendrils. And and you know, when I was thinking the dreadlocks. Yeah, but but you know, the way those moved. You know, when you start thinking about you know, and and. and a alien fighter, it maybe needed all of those to do different things within, mm. but puts into question in the third act how, you know, Will no, Smith could fly it. Yeah. But, you know, that that's, you know, well, another I mean, Brent thing. Spiner showed him, he said, well, clearly this, then he pushed the button and the things come out and oh. up and he said, well, clearly this is how they control it. But they had no idea about anything else because oh, that connected to that and this connected to this. And it was so convenient <laughs> that as soon as the alien showed up, that thing started working again after decades and decades. Exactly. Just sitting exactly. in area Getting a signal from the mothership. And that was an interesting thing, too. Uh, I know a lot of times the aliens in other sci-fi are like hive-minded, you know, mm-hmm. sort, of, sort of communal-minded. So th- these guys seem to be a little bit of that, too. You know, and, and actually, if, if I'm not... 
incorrect on this. I think that was a little pull from the original Robotech Macross series. Because I think in the first episode, they've, they've been using this tech, and all of a sudden it starts back up again. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. So there's a little bit of a pull there, okay. I think. So. That's the only episode of Robotech I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. I got to pretend like I know what you're talking about. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I do know. I saw that, 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 one, that one episode. Yes. I've not seen much of Robotech, but if you can throw Robotech in something, I'm a fan. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah. But now this right here is kind of uh, let me see if we're going to get into this. I mean, so what what did you all think of the um, the decision to use nukes over American soil on the alien ships? You know, I, I think it was once again. I think it was a gutsy move. I think it was the I'm going. You know, most of these these cities are you know, have been evacuated. I think that was a point that they had made, you know, but, but still yet, you know, the whole nuclear winter and stuff. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I with, I'm with Mr. Levinson. You don't want to do it. Yeah. 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 I'm with, I'm with, uh, you know, Jeff Goldblum's dad. You don't, you don't want to do this. This isn't something you want to do. And speaking, you know, to the, uh, conspiracy theory stuff, you know, they're in area 51 and the president's like, I know what, how, how does all this exist? He's like, you think a hammer costs $20,000? <laughs> I love that 30, yeah. Yeah. All that stuff. And it was so fun. Yeah, but uh, well, you know, even on the political side, you know, when the president asked, "Why didn't I know about this?" Plausible deniability, sir. (laughs) You know, I mean, it was just—it's kind of like interesting. Like you said, this is a conspiracy theorist dream movie. I did, I did feel like the Area Fifty One was appropriately nerdy, because like the rest of the movie, we've got your normal actors, you've got, um. You know, action movie type people. You get Area 51. You've got Data. Data first. Oh, is Brett, in charge. Brett Spider was perfect yeah. for that role. And we've got Adam Baldwin from Firefly. There you go. Running security. So, so James running the security <laughs> and like, yeah, Data's running the sides. <laughs> Area 51 should be the nerdiest place in this movie. And it is. <laughs> and it is. Good yeah. job, guys. It's oh, it's great. But here we see Jeff Goldblum's magic laptop <laughs> have the correct interface and be able to decipher... I just think it's handy that he had Firewire and the aliens were using Apple. <laughs> I, I just Max love back I, then, yeah. I love that they're using the same Wi-Fi. Yeah. I mean, I just it automatically you just I you mean, know, communicate. Perfect, yeah. 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 Yeah, that was that was a leap that really to and and I guess watching this with kind of a critical eye today, you know, <laughs> the last couple of days. And and we're reviewing these things. So we watch them with a different so way than we wouldn't always yeah, normally. Instead of just signing out and saying, "Okay, yeah, this is fun." Yeah. Say so, you know, it's kind of weird. His, <laughs> his uh, 1996 laptop was able to communicate with uh, extremely advanced alien technology here. Yeah. And two, like when he gets to the um, – I know we're jumping ahead now, but, I mean, if you haven't seen Independence Day, why are you listening to this episode? <laughs> <laughs> but so at the end of the movie when they get inside the mothership and just automatically like just taps a couple of keys and he loads the virus, I'm like, how are you connected to the alien computers? <laughs> oh, my God, how are you loading anything? Yeah, they were updating their firewall, and I and I did and I did love those operating system. Put um, got really excited because you know there were exclamation points. Yep. <laughs> like, what kind of computer has exclamation points when the uploads are complete? <laughs> right. Yep. Well, you know, during all the, this computer wizard wizardry, 
you know, uh, you know, they find out that the aliens are, are not benevolent, obviously. Right. And, and so they're actually the, these devourers that go from planet Locus. to planet. Yeah. Like locusts. So I decided they're a better Galactus than Galactus in Rise of the Silver Surfer. So they're a much better Galactus. So I would rather see this. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. I enjoyed the Fantastic Four movie so much. I didn't bother with the second. Oh, or the third. <laughs> I pretended that one didn't exist. Oh, boy. <laughs> I saw the trailer for that one and checked out. I was all there. <laughs> oh, you're talking about the fam four stick? No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that one. yeah, I didn't see that one either. But uh, So uh, back at Area 51, um, they have the whole autopsy. Were they autopsying it? Because they didn't think it was dead, did they? I don't know what they were doing. They Were, were they trying to get out of the armor? They were trying to get out of the armor. Yeah, I, okay. think, uh, I think Data knew that uh, from dealing with the other ones that it was encased. Okay, then I've got another question. Because he told him, he said, this is going to smell weird. Okay, Okay, then then question number two is, okay, if they know the alien is alive and they're trying to get it out, why was Adam Baldwin not in the room yet? There was no security. There was nobody in the observation room, just a bunch of scientists with, like, weird machete scalpels. (laughs) I mean... (laughs) I just thought that was weird. Like, so do they think it's dead? Because they didn't. You wouldn't need security if it's dead. But if it's alive, where's the security? I was confused by that. He was right. probably out securing the RVs like a wagon train around the base. Ah, okay. Yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> Jane Cobb would do that. I'm not Jane, sure. Jane would do. Yeah. Circle, but, circle these all up, guys. Come on. But then we get the most convenient coincidence in the entire movie. <laughs> For some reason, the alien wakes up. Mind links with the president, only the president, and downloads the entire history of its race and their entire plant into his head in 15 seconds. Oh, by the way, here's what we're up to. <laughs> here's what we've been all about for the entire history of our people. So mentally, they download about as fast as Goldblum's as computer. Goldblum. Right? <laughs> ah, awesome. That's how that link worked. I did not hear a dial-up anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I made a couple of dial-up jokes while I was watching this movie. <laughs> yeah, he must have been on the V96. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh. Yeah, but I just, I mean, at that point, I'm like, really? It's that easy? Just, it knows everything. He knows like, everything. Okay, oh, sure. I, I thought you were going to say say that, that, that Will Smith steals the chopper and automatically finds Vivica Fox and yeah. lands the chopper to save her and, and the first lady. That was another one. You know. Yeah. Yep, there was a few. <laughs> I told you, yeah, most movies you get one. It's all you, it's all you, it's all you expect the audience to give you. This is like, we get one every ten minutes. <laughs> but it's still a lot of fun. And, and, oh, it, it is. And this is almost the peak of the fun. Yeah. Th- this chunk of the movie. Almost. Yeah, I mean. Almost. Because they've been beaten. They thought they were, they've been beaten again. Now they're figuring out. Yeah. Well, what can we do with what we have left? And they're starting to put a plan together. And Goldblum apparently is drunk for the first time in his life. I'm not sure. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I thought he was drunk through the whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I went blank again. I'm not. I mean, I need, I need Goldblum's computer here. I'm not. I'm not firing on my cylinders. Here. I need. I need some help. But. Oh, the, uh, the the scene where I'm going back to right when they're t- when the the aliens awake and it's using its tentacle yeah, it's on uh, Brent Spiner's neck. Yes. That was so cool. Yeah, I just love the way it was manipulated. I don't know if that's even real. If that's a thing that can be possible, because if he's dead, there's probably no air in his lungs to manipulate. But it still looked awesome. Yeah. Release me. Yeah. Let him out. 
<laughs> no, it's clearly not him. And then maybe is this glass bulletproof? Yeah, nope. I was going to say that's it. Like, one of the president's best most movies is glass bulletproof. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That was great. Yeah, but I love how that one guy was just immediately like, okay, go let him out. And he's like, dude, do you not see the thing around his neck? This is clearly not him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, something's clearly happening here. He was preparing for his Jane Carberry. Yep, <laughs> definitely. Yep. Are we ready, ready for part three? Well, let's go ahead and take us a quick break. Oh, yes. And uh, we'll uh, come back with part three. <laughs> We are ready to jump into our part three. We are finally at July 4th. This movie is Independence Day. We're now at July 4th, finally. On July 4th, David demonstrates the key to defeating the aliens is to deactivate their shields and devises a plan to do this by uploading a computer virus into the mothership using the refurbished alien fighter, which Stephen volunteers to pilot. The U.S. military contacts airborne squadrons around the world through Morse code to organize a united counteroffense against the aliens. With military pilots in short supply, Whitmore enlists the help of volunteers with flight experience, including Russell, to fly the remaining F-A-18s at Area 51 and leads an attack on a saucer bearing down on the base. Flying into space, Stephen and David upload the virus and successively successfully deploy a nuclear weapon on board. There we go. The mothership, destroying the alien's telecommunications network over Earth and successfully fight back against the alien craft. But their supply of missiles is exhausted before they can destroy the saucer. As it prepares to fire on the base, Russell has one last missile to spare. But when the firing control on the missile fails, he bravely rams his jet into the directed energy weapon port, causing a chain reaction that destroys the entire ship. Human resistance forces around the world are informed of the alien saucer's weak point and successfully destroy the un- destroy the others. As humankind is rejoicing in victory, Stephen and David return to Area 51, unharmed, and reunite with their families. They then accompany Whitmore and his daughter in watching the wreckage of the mothership blowing up, resembling a fireworks display as they as it enters Earth's atmosphere. I got a question for you guys. As I watched this, this was the part of the movie that was the most fuzzy in my memory. Okay. Yeah. Did y'all feel the same way? Yeah. Like I remembered the president's speech, and I remembered Goldblum and Will Smith in space. Right. Almost nothing else I remembered from Act Three of this movie. Yeah, once once uh, Quaid kamikazes the ship, the movie's practically over for me. <laughs> right. I forgot that Randy Quaid got in an airplane at the end of this movie. Now, I, no, I mean, I just blacked out this last part of the movie. I knew he got into an airplane, and I knew he'd done something heroic. And like I said before, this is one of those movies I kind of revisit every year. You know, around this time. <clears throat> As a movie that I kind of throw it and revisit every year, a lot of times it's like, okay, I've seen this before, I'll see it again. You know, and 
I don't know if you know just don't pay enough attention or just something kind of goes amiss. But yeah, that's that's something. I knew he done something heroic, but I forgot the scope. Yeah, I I'd actually had forgotten the sacrifice. You know, as far as that, I had totally forgotten that because even at the the moment where he's getting ready to fire, I'm like, ooh, he's Luke Skywalker. You know. <laughs> <laughs> And then it just you know blows up on the surface, but uh, and then he eventually has to <laughs> sacrifice, right? Stay on target. But I, I thought of that you mentioned earlier about how the most iconic image is the White House, yes, blowing up, and that's early in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, the other iconic moment is all is the Area Fifty One stuff, especially with the alien waking up. Right. That's like halfway through the movie, if yeah. even that. Mm-hmm. And then so much of the rest of the movie is just was just gone. I just I, I just thought that was interesting that the iconic stuff happens earlier in the movie. So much, yeah, it's so packed on the front end. I mean, it's packed throughout, but the front end is all of the iconic things. Well, you know, I think the most iconic part in this section is is the speech, is the president's yeah, speech. Yeah, like I said, that's one of the few things I remember because that gets quoted a lot. Because there's even an episode of Teen Titans Go. <laughs> where Robin quotes that speech and parts of that speech to the other Titans. So, you know, it shows up. Yeah. Uh, do you think this may be something with the uh, marketing for this movie, even today, you know, when this movie is shown on TV? <clears throat> those are the images we have is from the first third of this movie. You know, it's the ship flying. It's mm-hmm. the ship blowing up the White House. It's, you know, Will Smith chasing the, or the alien chasing Will Smith through the Grand Canyon. Everything is the first third of this movie. The evacuation of the trailer park. You know, everything is right there. And that's all you see on commercials. And that's what lives with us, I think. Yeah, I think so. We, I think the speech is up there, though. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, yeah, the speech is glorious. I think so. Um, I did, this is maybe a connection to something else I've got going on, but I did lean over to my wife after he finished his speech and go, Idris Elba did it better in Pacific Rim. <laughs> <laughs> he got to say we're canceling the apocalypse. That's right. <laughs> well, we are we are well aware of your uh, man crush here on Idris Elba. Yes. Um, you know, I, I think part of, I always feel like part of my role on, on this show is to bring in weird connection, pop culture connections, right? You know, I, I've done the weird Galactus thing, talked about <laughs> Teen Titans go at this point. Here's my last one. All uh-huh. right. To me, there was a end dr- early tonight. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Douglas Adams. Okay. So long and thanks for all the fish. Okay. The dolphin on the ring, oh. the dolphin <sighs> in the background on Goldblum's computer. There were dolphins on his wallpaper. So, to me, I I just kept getting this Douglas Adams feel. Interesting. I did. So, what if the virus was based on 42? <laughs> <laughs> did he bring his towel, though? Has to have the towel. <laughs> that should have been his victory dance. Yes. Will Smith should have had his cigar. And Goldblum should have had his towel. That's it. There you go. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, he did spend a chunk of the movie with a with a towel on his around his neck or something, didn't he? Goldblum. I don't remember. I'll have to look into. I that. was more distracted by the strange things his face was doing. He he was doing some <laughs> odd things. This is Goldblum at almost his most quirky. I mean, he's just probably at his best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. That's why I was so interested to see how he would do in Thor Ragnarok as the, <laughs> as the Grandmaster. 
I mean, how do you have Goldblum play anybody else than Jeff Goldblum? He doesn't anymore. <clears throat> he just I don't think he ever did. I he had he there was a little more <laughs> variety. Like he was in some rom com stuff in the early nineties where he was trying to play a normal human. Um, <laughs> to varying degrees of success. <laughs> and, and and then there was the weird kind of sex symbol. Jeff yeah. Goldblum from The Fly. Yeah. That might and, be the weirdest thing that happened in the 90s. And even from Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park you know, yeah. those two movies, yeah. you know, he's like shirtless or like unbuttoned, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, he's got a lot of different sides to yeah. his personality here. But I think from about maybe this movie on, he's just he's Jeff Goldblum. Just lines. Jeff Goldblum. He just, they hand him a script and he reads it. I mean, that's, I mean. <laughs> So yeah, the uh, I mean the I know we've talked about the graphics, the you know effects in this movie kind of being dated. I, I, I still I think that it you know it is what it is. There's a there's it, a few moments it, here there's there a few, yeah. where it looks bad. But, I mean most of them do hold up, and I, I think that some of the like we talk about the alien at Air Fifty One. Mm-hmm. I mean that's practical stuff, and it looks good. I mean, yeah, there's, it there's does. A, I mean, there's a few times the eyes move a little funny that we would fix with CGI now. But, like, it still looks pretty good. And I, and I like the way, like you mentioned earlier, the way it moves. I, I, it's creepy, yeah. the way the aliens move. Yeah, the, so. the dreadlocks. Yeah. Like yeah. And um, I like the, uh, the the interior of the spaceship when they fly into it. Yeah. Which was awfully convenient. They flew in the right place and were able I to... I mean, go. right where the serial port was. Yeah, it was great. It's all right. Um, I don't, I'm not <laughs> sure how he plugged in his dial-up connection into the alien spaceship. But hey, it works. We've, we've rolled with all kinds of coincidences so far. <laughs> um, there was a weird thing. and I know we're jumping around now. But like when they get back down to Earth, I'm like, these guys have known each other for what? 45 minutes? They're like best friends. friends. Yeah. Like they've been yeah. to each other's family reunions and barbecues for, you know, for the last <laughs> 20 years, the way they're acting. I know how the computer communicated. Google Translate. <laughs> <laughs> it is a magic laptop, I guess. Yes, it, it is, is a magic laptop. We've got oh, we, we've got a running theme here, right? We've got Goldblum's magic laptop. We've got Doc Holliday's magic shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> what else shall we find, folks? Oh, we shall see. Well, I think we've kind of torn this thing apart. Do you want to give out some awards? I think I think we're there. I think Let's this go is a good it. place to hang some awards on the mantle. All right. Okay. Best character, and I think this could go a lot of different directions. Yeah, I, I think there, there's a lot of room in this movie, and a lot of characters that I think you could pull in a, as a best character. So, when uh, we start out, fellas, I think you just volunteered. Okay, just, not a problem. <laughs> you just jumped um, in. To me, hands down, best character, the one I enjoyed the most was Judd Hirsch. I loved Julius Levinson. Yes, he cracked me up. He he was both humorous but he was also a voice of reason Mm -hmm. and i mean everything that that he talked about and said it was just this sage type of of character you know i just i liked him i just he was my best character all you need is love john lennon that's right good man shot in the back very sad (laughs) (laughs) he he really did have a lot of insight that's a great that's a great pick there well my my choice was his son i went with goldblum okay I, i just it, I mean, I know that a lot of the computer stuff and the science doesn't make any sense or whatever. I just, I, I find him compelling to look at. Like, if he's doing something on the screen, I could not look <laughs> at him. And I just, and, I, and the, and the, I think the, probably the, the most emotional thing I felt in the movie was his, like, long-suffering love for his wife. Yeah. That she chose her career over him and yeah. gave up on their marriage. They didn't try to, she didn't try to make it work. 
and he he still wore the ring. You know, just something about that really touched me. He still wore the ring, and he's still you know pined for. So I I, just, I loved David Levinson, who was just Jeff Goldblum. I forgot his character's name because I only have it because it's on the notes here. It's just Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. He's just Jeff. He's just Goldblum. So. There are so many characters in this movie, and I bounced back and forth between major characters and very minor characters. I love Harvey Feinstein. Or, you know, just, just the horse, David, David, David. You know, just this. <laughs> and, and you have, of course, you have uh, – you know, Randy Quaid, just being Randy Quaid all over the place in this movie. I, I, you know, as a character and a guy who established himself, I'm going to just round out this this top grouping here and uh, and kind of go maybe even against, you know, myself a little bit with Will Smith. He, I mean, he really kind of established himself as a character actor here. He, you know, he had some depth. He had his relationship with, with you know, Vivica Fox's character. He was, you know, really standing upon standing with uh, against some folks you see him you know be the hero you see him you know show his worth and his range to you know get in these action roles so that's that's rumble with that okay. I, think, I think too he really cemented himself in this movie as an action star yeah action star I mean he yeah. only made bad boys but that was kind of as much comedy as it was action yeah and he was still being funny guy we had two comedic leads in that movie yeah you know you did so I mean there was definitely elements of humor there to me this was this was yeah this was him establishing yeah. himself as an action star yeah yeah, yeah he's, he's he's hanging that star well I'm, I, I'll go first on the next one best scene I think I already tipped my hand because I kept Circle them back to it. The the weird surgery scene with the alien. Everything that happens there, from the point that Data gets out his giant machete scalpel <laughs> to the end of that scene. I just I love everything that happens there. I know it doesn't make any sense. The president gets the full world history of that race in like 15 seconds or whatever. But like from just for me, as, as much as the White House getting blown up, the image of that tentacle around Data's throat. Forcing the words across his, you know, vocal cords. I just everything that happens there for me. It's my favorite scene in the whole movie. I can't take my eyes off of it. Yeah. That's that's a really great that's I a really like that great scene. scene through there. Um, I'll go and uh, <clears throat> I'm I'm gonna go with the straight up most iconic thing here. From the minute these spaceships cross over, and you see the size until they blow up the cities. I'm I'm just gonna say everything that happens there, from the chaos in the cities, people looting and running, David figuring it out, you know, um, the people partying on the rooftop in Los Angeles, you know, to the explosions happening, that is so iconic, that just established this movie for me. Awesome. Um, you know, in all honesty, I mean, there, 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 as we talked about, there are numerous iconic scenes in this. There's, there's scenes that are just great, and there's some that are hilarious, some that are groan-worthy. Um, you know, the, the one that cracks me up every time I've watched this movie, okay, is the exchange between Stephen and David when they're sitting in the alien mothership, and they open it back up, and they're waving at the <laughs> controller, and they're going, this guy got no idea what's getting ready to happen to him, <laughs> you know? I love that scene. I just get cracked up at it, and when they finally fired the, the, the missile, you know, just e even that little quirky humor of the alien kind of going like, oh, you know, kind of deal i love that scene so well i'm gonna piggyback off that so the so for best line is our next award i picked the next lines that they say after that oh, okay they shoot off the missile and they get released 
because they've been they've been trapped in the docking hoozy. Right. So they get released, and Will Smith yells, "I ain't heard no fat lady." <laughs> and I love what Goldblum says next. Yes. Forget the fat lady. You're obsessed with fat lady. Just get us out of here. <laughs> I just something about that line has always stuck with me, and it makes me laugh every time. Right. Like it. He's got a, he's got another best line. Well, you know, I, I guess for for best line, you know, the one that I guess I remember the most um, is just. Will Smith punching the alien <laughs> and saying, Welcome to Earth. <laughs> you know? I mean, that sums up so much <laughs> about, you know, American culture sometimes in that just few words, right? Yeah. So it's very succinct, very to the point, and I think very on the nose. <laughs> Literally, too. It was on his nose. <laughs> So, so the best I can figure is that when he hit the helmet, though, it was like a concussion. And yeah. the alien's head, you know, that's all I can figure. Sure. <laughs> yep. If you, if you say so. I don't know if that science checks out. <clears throat> My best line, I, I've been back and forth, and thank you, Sam, for taking that one so I can take this one. Um, I'm going to go back to, uh, I'm gonna go back to uh, Harvey Feinstein. I don't know why, but I crack up. Every single time I hear this, the world is coming to an end. <clears throat> what does he do? He calls his therapist. <laughs> what What do you mean he's out for three hundred dollars an hour? You could get me into his in the Hamptons, you know. <laughs> I don't know why, but that just cracks me up every time. My, my favorite part of that. What does he have to therapize about, or you know? To, well, if you remember, though, he lists like, who he was going to call. I need to call my mother. I need to call my aunt. I need to call my lawyer. Yeah, he had a great little character. It was just a ton yeah. of fun at the beginning of that movie. It, yeah. It's a small role, but yeah. he owns it. Oh, he, he, yeah. oh, he rocked it. All right, so we've got a weird one for our last award. And yeah. so... Yeah. Um, Let's explain explain this to me a little bit there, Jim. Okay. Um, I don't think that Jeff Goldblum acts like a normal human in this movie. I think he's as alien as, as the people in the ships here. And that's not just this movie. I'm not sure Jeff Goldblum is actually a member of our species. There's just he's quirky. He does everything is different with Goldblum. And so we've got an award here. So this is the best so what exactly is wrong with Jeff Goldblum moment in this movie? And so I'll go first to give you my example. So if you're if you're still wondering where I was going here. So the scene on the road to Washington. He's talking to his dad. Mm-hmm. He doesn't speak in complete sentences. He's not making eye contact. And just his face, like his his expressions don't match his words. I mean, just his everything he's doing in that scene is not or no, how a normal human would interact with their father yeah. <laughs> under these circumstances. <laughs> everything in there is weird. It's not normal. Well, I mean, you look at the circumstances or anything but normal. <laughs> But still, he's not reacting how a normal human would react to these weird circumstances. It's just, it's just, it's off. I mean, Jeff, and Jeff Goldblum's like that. Even in movies where he's not, you know, in this kind of weird thing, like even in Jurassic Park, there's strange things he does in that movie. Yeah, he does make some some odd choices, and I know we had uh, kind of joked about him, you know, being drunk through the movie, or you know, <laughs> was, was was he even making the same movie that everyone else was making? Yeah. You know, where where was he here? Um, <clears throat> I just thought it was interesting with him, um, his interaction with um, everyone when he goes into the TV station. He's mm-hmm. just like, you know, 
everyone's flipping out because all this chaos is happening. He's like, we've got cans in the garbage. We've got recycling over here. You know? <laughs> and he's just making a big deal about this. And, and I understand you. Know, this is the nineties. You're trying to, you know, the environmental stuff is just, just starting to get real, real popular. And he's just like, everyone's losing their marbles. And he's just like, something simple is like, Oh, you know, what's up with this over here? You know, just put the garbage in here. You know, it's garbage, it's cans, cans, recycle these, you know, and he's just, just, just kind of off in left field, and everyone's like, "Oh my God!" See, and I suspect that's how Jeff Goldblum's days actually go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like things go. are happening around him, he's doing his own thing. He just kind of glides through. <laughs> All right. So my Goldblum moment here is going to answer the question of the computer. Oh. Okay. Did everybody notice what was on his computer when he opens it? It's HAL 9000 from 2001, A Space Odyssey. He's a time lord. And right there is, ask you why he's weird, because who in the world is going to put HAL 9000 on their computer? <laughs> because he's the one that killed everybody, essentially. <laughs> Hello, Dave. You know, I mean... <laughs> he's the, yeah, he is the, psycho, the psychotic robot. Exactly. Friend. So, one, it explains why his computer is so powerful. Mm-hmm. And it also just explains why he's weird because, you know, you're fighting aliens and you have a killer AI. So, yeah. (laughs) I think Sam wins. I think so. (laughs) Sam wins the show. Jamie, I think we've got something here you've alluded to. I know you've had some difficulties in the past. I know just we were concerned with Star Wars last week being... How, well, a few weeks ago, how in the world is we going to link the 1977 movie to Keanu? Well, here I'm thinking this is going to be a walk in the park. No, 96, sir. this was prime. <laughs> but you come in here, I think you have scratch marks where you're trying to pull some hair. If there was hair to pull, it would have been on the floor. <laughs> I was shocked. Um, this was the most surprising um, difficulty to find Keanu. Um, wow. Uh, it was difficult. I was looking up. I mean, I, I went through every single member of the cast. Everybody whose face appeared on IMDb, I looked up. <laughs> I looked at directors, producers, writers. Um, I'm, I had to get creative this time. So here we go. Here's our Keanu connection for Independence Day. Will Smith has had a really amazing career with some ups and downs. Bad Boys, Men in Black, I Am Legend, Hitch. And there's some bad ones. Wild Wild West. I, Robot, Hancock. But he's clearly a skilled actor with a ton of charisma. He just seems to pick some weird movies to be in and some weird ones to turn down. You see, he was offered the role of Neo in The Matrix and turned it down. Mm. Thus paving the way for our beloved Keanu to become Neo. And that's the closest thing I could come to a Keanu connection. (laughs) I think that's a very good one. I think we've discussed that too with... Will Smith turning down different roles. Now, I'm going to have to ask you about iRobot. I know that's not the greatest movie, but, I mean, hello, it's got Alan Tudyk. Despite having Alan Tudyk in your movie, it's still not a very good movie. Hmm. I've watched this movie recently by Um, my own volition. Oh, okay. So, okay, to each his own. I think the cast is good. I don't think it's a great movie. That's my my two cents. Okay. Okay, we'll go there. Well, that was the Keanu Connection. 
Oh, hold on. I know what's next. Let me get my timer up. It's keeping it 100. Oh, yes. I'm slacking too, Jamie. I wasn't ready. I apologize. <clears throat> no, that's okay. <laughs> All right. I'm ready. All right. I want to go first. Go I'm, for it. I've got a great one. I discovered something new this week. Okay. Well, you go ahead and take yours right now. Okay. I discovered on Comixology Unlimited a comic book series called Axe Cop. And it is written by two, is created by two brothers. And here's how the story goes: how Axe Cop was created. One of the brothers is 29 years old. He is much older than all of his siblings. And so when he gets together, he's got a bunch of little kids to play with. And so his five-year-old brother pulled him over and like, let's go play with my toys. So he pulls out a cop and he said, let's play Axe Cop. He goes, Axe Cop. It's like, yeah, I don't like his gun. I like the fireman's axe. And so he plays with the axe, you know, as Axe Cop. He's a cop with an axe. And he chops, all, <laughs> chops the heads off the criminals. I'm liking where this is going. And so the, so the older brother is a comic book artist. He's a professional artist. And so he spends, like, all of Christmas vacation with his little brother drawing comic books for his little Axe Cop, you know, toy. So he publishes them as a webcomic. And it takes off. Uh, wow. Within days, Axe Cop becomes his career. Like he's like he's making so much money from Axe Cop that it just becomes his job. Wow. And so there are I think six volumes of Axe Cop. Wow. There was a awesome. short lived Axe Cop animated series on Adult Swim. Um <laughs> and I just so it's so the the, the the great part is just the hilarity of how a five year old mind works yeah. and how things jump from one thing to another. Like at one point there's like an ask ask Axe Cop series and they ask him if Axe Cop ever fought Chuck Norris. And so it was, yes, he was out walking his poodle and he challenged me, challenged Axe Cop to a fight. And then a five-year-old mind goes from there. <laughs> That's great. Love it. Axe Cop. Sounds wonderful. Wow. That was a killer <laughs> timing there, Jamie. Axe Cop. Axe Cop. <laughs> that sounds like a ton of fun. It is so much fun. <clears throat> well, speaking of the mind of a child, I know we have... Um, I've spoken before about my children on this show, and uh, <clears throat> I'm toying around with some ideas with my kids uh, for a for a small podcast thing. I think one of my children schooled us, or at least schooled me, on how to do keeping it 100. <laughs> so this my my keeping it 100, Jamie. If you'll you'll go ahead and start the timer there. Three, two, one, go. Harrison Ford. I love this man. What is not to love? He's been the president. He's been in romantic comedies. Han Solo, Indiana Jones. Most recently, I seen him in... Uh, well, actually, didn't see him. I heard him. He was a, a voice in the new cartoon, Secret Life of Pets 2. Playing the dog on the ranch. Alpha dog, Rooster. Who, with a bark... Puts everyone in line. And it just, just brought me from the moment I started thinking. Because I went in this movie really blind. Who is that guy? I know I know that voice. And when I realized that voice, I, my mind just started soaring back through the years. Of all of the gloriousness that Harrison Ford has brought us on screen. And with attitude and grumpiness and gruffness and love and action and whips and blasters and Millennium Falcons. So, guys, I'm just going to just fanboy out about Harrison, Harrison Ford there. So that's my keeping it 100. All right. 
And, and just as a side note, Secret Life of Pets 2 was hilarious. Did you get to see I, it? I got to watch it. I loved <clears throat> okay, great. it. I yeah, thought it was we, great. Yeah, we went and watched so. it. It's, it's a ton of fun. My kids love, love, love the first one. And uh, so when this one came out, you know, we, we made a little excursion, a little special trip and watched it. And we just had a blast. And a little bit different situation. Um, of all of my years, I have never been to a drive-in theater until this weekend. Hmm. And uh, so there was a drive-in theater and kind of like an adjacent uh, – town a little, little distance away so we went down there and checked it out and it was just a blast and when Harrison Ford's voice came on I said oh yeah <gasps> yes <laughs> see Kevin Kevin Hart's character the the, the rabbit the bunny yeah. is is the one that just it just cracks me up snowball snowball yeah <laughs> snowball's great alright so we ready for my keeping 100 fellas absolutely alright so Three, two, one, go. All right. I'm back on brand, people. Uh, so my um, recommendation this week is a DC Universe uh, released movie called Justice League versus the Fatal Five. And first of all, the great part is we're back to the Tim verse. We've got, you know, the animation. We've got Kevin Conroy as Batman, George Newbern as Superman, Susan Eisenberg as Wonder Woman. We've got all these characters back. But we also have a couple new characters, and those are the ones that really stand out to me. You've got uh, Diana Guerrero playing Jessica Cruz, Green Lantern, and you've got Starboy, Tom Calor from the Legion of Superheroes. And what makes these two characters so interesting is these are two characters who struggle with mental health issues. Um, Jessica Cruz is an agoraphobe and suffers from PTSD. Thomas Calor is schizophrenic if he doesn't take his meds. So we have two very flawed heroes at the front of this movie who show that even though you may struggle, you can still be a hero. It doesn't devalue who you are. So, you know, along with just the, the joy of seeing these characters, it's it's the message, I think, that comes through also. So Justice League versus The Fatal Five. Check it out. Cool. And I've always heard that the DC animated movies are actually better than the live action movies. They are. I've heard they're that, great. Yeah, I've they, heard the animated movies are great, and plus they they can play a lot more because like Mr. Terrific is on the Justice League in this one. You know, I mean it's that kind of thing. <laughs> they can pull in tons of characters. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. I think those are good picks this week. That sound great. Enjoy even if Dwayne, even if Dwayne cheated and called out Harrison Ford's entire career. <laughs> well, you know, uh, call, calling back to that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and uh, let our audience know, uh, I, I was recording an episode with my kids. I like to maybe talk, have them talk about family movies and stuff. That's the thing we enjoy, and I think it's a thing we might be able to you know, share with people. Yeah. And as, as I told them, so, yeah, you know, keeping it 100, like, what's that? And I'm going to tell people about something that you like, something you enjoy. And my six-year-old keeping it 100 was army crawling and digging in the <laughs> yes. dirt. You know, and I was like, this is brilliant. Why is this not? You know, why have I not thought about this? You know. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I enjoyed the younglings at the round table that I got to yeah. experience. Yeah, yeah that I'm, I'm going to work up a couple of those uh, pretty soon. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll get those released yeah, soon. I, I would like that. Well, our next quest. I'm so for the, excited. For the nerds of the realm, I know you are. We're going to have to be so careful next time. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much here. Our next quest is Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back. And there are so there are not rabbit holes to fall down. There are rabbit <laughs> canyons to fall down on this one. So we're going to have to be so disciplined. I love that 
that were finally in, of course, the OT. And I love that we each have a very different take on this movie. And I just can't wait to get into it. I, I, I suspect I'll get less dirty looks when I give my grade on this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, All right, fellas. Let's look forward to our next quest. And I think we're done for the night. Anybody got anything they want to leave us with on Independence Day? No. David! <laughs>